Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either... You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable from Accra. <laughs> Shortly after I recorded last week's episode, I decided to get on a plane and come back to Ghana. I bought the original plane ticket back in July, like literally on my birthday. It was my birthday present to myself. I decided I was going back to Ghana. I was originally supposed to leave from the States October 3rd. And then I changed my ticket three times. The last time I changed it, after I saw that why not win sign, I pushed it by 10 days just to give myself some wiggle room and figure out what I was going to do. But I totally wasn't dedicated to getting on the flight. I easily would have pushed it again. But Wednesday morning, I woke up and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to actually get on the plane this time. Like, for real. My flight wasn't until 6 o'clock. I just had to be at the airport by 4. There was plenty of time to pack. I mean, I was half packed already. I had all the stuff that I needed. I just needed to make a final edit of what was staying and what was going and did and then got on the plane and came to Ghana it's for the most part just like how I left it my avocado lady is missing and I mean missing is in like not that she's been kidnapped but like the area that she used to work in I used to buy my avocados on the side of the road but they raised that whole area where she used to be stationed at because they're going to build townhouses which is really great location wise because I was like who's building the townhouses I want one Because it's the perfect location. But I was also like, but where am I going to get my avocados from? So I'm like, two days into Ghana and avocado free. But I've been eating well nonetheless. I did get my braids done. I don't even know what size these are. They're tinier than they usually are. They're like half the size of a pencil. But they're ombre, black to platinum blonde. And they're all the way down my back past my tushy. I watched The Crown. I think it came out on Thursday. It's the final season. They're doing it in two parts. So four parts now and then four parts, I want to say December 15th. And that's the end of The Crown, which I was like, y'all really could go all the way up to current day. Like, I wouldn't be mad at it. The actual Crown would probably be mad. But me personally, I wouldn't be mad. I would love to see the Harry Meghan years depicted. But in this set, it's the month or six weeks leading up to Princess Diana's death. I cried in a way that I didn't when her death actually happened. I didn't have the emotional connection 
to her then that I do now. I will also say this, Dominic West as Prince Charles, Prince Charles looked terrible in previous episodes, particularly the ones where he and Diana got married and he was in love with someone else. He treated her pretty bad. And this is another situation. So we're going to talk about Diddy and Cassie and them age gaps in a minute. When Diana met Charles, she was a baby. I think when they first started dating, she was all of 19. And he was in his 30s. There's a massive age difference, but also a power difference. I mean, he's literally like the next king of England. But I say all that to say, he treated her in reality and as depicted in the show really, really bad. And The Crown, the TV show, was a significant blow to his public perception. Not that it was all that great anyway. People were like, oh, I forgot he did that dumb shit. Fuck him. But this part of the series actually redeemed him. They've been divorced for about a year. I don't think I realized that she died so soon after the divorce. I thought there was at least four or five years in between. But he has a really, I would say, decent human reaction and definitely in contrast to his parents, about Diana's death, as depicted in this series. He loses it. Charles actually has like the appropriate human reaction that I wasn't expecting from him. And I wonder too, because when The Crown came out, Charles wasn't king. I wonder if this is how he actually reacted, or if the creators of The Crown gave him a halfway decent depiction because he's the current king of England. His mama, who was alive when the crown began, they didn't make her look too good. The final scene, I won't tell you what it is. She looks like a straight up villain. Villain's like my new favorite word. But there's a lot of people in the zeitgeist that are acting like villains or have acted like villains. Bob, Diddy. I didn't get a chance to watch Black Cake yet. Sorry, my bad. It came out on Wednesday. I was preparing for an international move again. I guess I could have watched it yesterday, but when I landed in Ghana, I was running around trying to like pull my life together. There was something else that came out. The Tyler Perry documentary, Maxine's Baby. It's getting good reviews. I haven't had a chance to look at that yet either. I just, there aren't enough hours in the day. So yesterday I arrived, I run errands all day. I take a nap, I'm jet lagged. Somewhere around, I would say around 1 a.m. my time, my phone keeps ringing and I was asleep. I'd ignored it a couple of times, but I think after the third call, I was like, what is going on? And I wake up and it's news about this lawsuit that Cassie has filed on Diddy. My intent actually was to record the podcast last night and then edit it while I was getting my hair done. It took like eight hours, even with seven women braiding my hair. People be like, who all going to take that out? There are people here whose whole job is to take braids out. I love it. So instead of recording the podcast, instead of watching Black Cake, I ended up reading the 35-page lawsuit that comes with a trigger warning, which I was like, is this standard? Once you read it, you'd be like, oh, that's why. And then I was on the phone with different friends from the East Coast until 5, 6 o'clock this morning until I left to go get my hair braided. Everything Cassie say he did in that lawsuit, I believe every word. There have been rumors specifically about Diddy beating Cassie's ass for years. When I was living in New York, I had a whole bunch of friends that worked for Puff in some capacity, whether it was Bad Boy or Ciroc or Blue Flame. That was the marketing agency. 
And they would tell me the craziest stories about working for Puff. I mean, everything from the finances to the way they treated interns. There's a very notorious story about an intern who got locked in a storage closet as punishment. The other big story that was oft talked about was there was a, people still texting me right now, a text just came through. My friend, she told me this story somewhere, I would say between 2010, 2013. I remember where we were when she told me the story the first time. She's brought it up a couple times over the years. She tells this story where they were sitting in a meeting one day, but Puff was in the room. Puff was running a meeting. He called Cassie into the room. I don't know what prompted this next part, but he beat Cassie in the conference room with all his top executives sitting around the table. And according to my friend, it wasn't a secret that he beat on Cassie. She said the women in the office would constantly tell her, you have to leave. He will kill you. Why are you still here? And she'd be like, I can't leave. I can't leave. I can't leave. So my friend says he beat her in the conference room in front of everyone. She said no one intervened when he was actually hitting her. A couple people got up to try to help her because she was laying on the floor crying. And he was like, the fuck? Told everybody to get back in their seats reminded them that they were at the workplace. They were in the middle of a meeting, like, so focus on your job. They sat back down and he continued the meeting as if Cassie wasn't laying on the floor in the corner crying and everybody could see and hear her. She said he kept going on with the meeting and we all just sat there like we didn't just see him beat this chick. And again, like she's not there laying on the floor as we're sitting here talking about strategy or numbers or whatever we were talking about. Ooh-wee. My friend just texted me. I told you people been hitting me up all day. My friend just texted me. She said she just spoke to someone who works on Puff's label. Rolling Stone is doing an investigative piece. They're doing a deep dive into Puff's record label practices. Hmm. Yeah, this is bad. My friend who told me the story, she quit shortly after that. She said her soul felt dirty after working there. She was like, I don't want to be the kind of person to see somebody get beat and is laying on the floor crying. And then we just go on literally business as usual. So she was like, I'm out. And she's told that story a couple of times because she left there. And then her next thing was a very good thing. Obviously, I can't give you any details. I don't want to give anything away about her identity. But she's often talked about that moment in the conference room as like a pivot in her life where she was like, I got to do something else. I can't do this. So I read the 35 page lawsuit. Do we need to go into details? I mean, it's one big trigger warning. All right, here we go. I just pulled it up. If you want to see it, Twitter, X, whatever it's called, Cassie lawsuit, and it'll come up after a really quick scroll. There's a trigger warning on the lawsuit. It says this document contains highly graphic information of a sexual nature, including sexual assault. We're going to use their trigger warning as our trigger warning. I'm going to read some pretty crazy shit from this lawsuit. I want you to understand this is so crazy that it's preempting a conversation about this Tasha K interview with Will Smith's former assistant, where he alleges all sorts of crazy shit and the Smiths are about to sue him. I thought that was going to be our big story today. I thought we were going to talk about the full audio of Kiki's mama going off on that baby daddy and Usher catching a stray. No, this is preempt that. This is page two of the lawsuit. And I knew there was a big age difference between Diddy and Cassie. I don't think I realized it was almost 20 years. 
He met her when she was 19 and he was 37. He signed her to Bad Boy Records. So he was her boss and then also her boyfriend. He had control of every aspect of her life, professionally, personally. He paid for the apartment she lived in, the car she drove. As her boss, he's over every check that she could possibly bring in. She can't move without him. But over the course of this relationship, again, page two of the lawsuit, they summarize what's coming up in this additional 35 pages. And they say over the course of this relationship, they said, Cassie, they refer to her in the lawsuit as Miss Ventura. Cassandra Ventura is her real name. They say she was, quote, trapped by Mr. Combs in a cycle of abuse, violence, and sex trafficking. Among other violent and unlawful acts, Mr. Combs raped Miss Ventura in her own home after she tried to leave him, often punched, beat, kicked, and stomped on Miss Ventura, resulting in bruises, burst lips, black eyes, and bleeding, blew up a man's car after he learned that he was romantically interested in Miss Ventura, forced Miss Ventura to engage in sex acts with male sex workers while masturbating and filming the encounters, ran out of his apartment with a firearm in pursuit of a rival industry executive, that's Suge Knight, introduced Miss Ventura to a lifestyle of excessive alcohol and substance abuse, and required her to procure illicit prescriptions to satisfy his own addiction. Cassie's version of events, Puff is drunk and high at like every occasion. And not like fun drunk, like the party guy drunk, like he is in all the Ciroc ads, like ugly belligerent drunk. So this is page three. They describe throughout their relationship, Mr. Combs was prone to uncontrollable rage and frequently beat Miss Ventura savagely. These beatings were witnessed by Mr. Combs' staff and employees of Bad Boy Entertainment, the story I just told you, at the office, and Mr. Combs' related businesses. But no one dared to speak up against their frightening and ferocious boss. There's so much I need to get done before the holiday season really begins. There's the gifts, there's the decorating, there's the travel, there's the hosting. 25 people in Ghana. The holidays are my busiest time of year. But don't get stuck worrying about shipping orders. Let ShipStation do the heavy lifting so you or your team can put your time, money, and energy into more important things. Plus, when it comes to those inevitable holiday returns, ShipStation automates, recommends exchanges, and gathers customer feedback. So even if they bought the wrong size or color, they'll still have a great experience. Whether you're shipping from your house or multiple warehouses, ShipStation can increase your holiday profitability. I've used ShipStation since the very beginning of my merch company. What I love most about it is how easy it is. If you've been thinking about ShipStation, now is the time to try it. They're offering a free trial and it's a really quick setup. Over 130,000 companies, including my own, have scaled their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation. And 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Let your customers shop risk-free this holiday with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com and use code RESPECT today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code RESPECT. I know some people I've seen ask, why now? I mean, I think 
I think it takes a while to get your mind right to confront something like this publicly. A lot of things that Cassie describes in this lawsuit are embarrassing and humiliating and violent. To write this down and then tell the world what's happened to you, knowing that half of them are not going to believe you, knowing that people are going to ridicule you, knowing that the person that you're talking about is very wealthy and very powerful and also crazy as fuck. I'm not surprised it took her so long. And actually, I'm quite shocked that she did it. But I'm proud of her for speaking up. I would be very surprised if this is not some sort of watershed moment that encourages lots of other people to come forward with their stories about Puff. Because there's no way in the world that this only happened just to her. So on page eight, they talk about Puff signing Cassie to his label. His makeup artist was the first person to tell Cassie that, hey, Puff is interested in you. She had no interest in him, she says. Given the large age gap and power dynamic between them, he's the president of a record label. And also, he was publicly dating Kim Porter. And Cassie was in a relationship with someone else. Page 8 says that nevertheless, Mr. Combs pursued Miss Ventura. They say at an after party in a hotel suite following her 21st birthday. So she's 21. That puts him, what, 39 at this point? Mr. Combs pulled Miss Ventura into a bathroom and forcibly kissed her. She did not consent to this unwanted contact. She immediately ran out of the bathroom and the hotel suite and cried. This is page nine. Despite clear rejection of Mr. Combs' advances, he continued to demand Miss Ventura spend time with him, including for a weekend at Mr. Combs' residence in Miami and for nights out in New York City. She said one particular night, he asked her out. She feared that rejecting him would have repercussions for her album deal. He picked her up at her apartment. In the car, he handed her a pill and told her to take it. She asked what it was. He dismissed her and told her she would like it. She later learned the pill was ecstasy, something she had never before tried and did not want to try. This was the first time Mr. Combs got Miss Ventura high. He then proceeded to drive recklessly at very high speeds down the West Side Highway. They say they got to the party and security wouldn't let them in because Mr. Combs was belligerent. Miss Ventura decided to leave and Mr. Combs messaged her incessantly, complaining that she left him high and alone. They say there was another time he wanted her to come down to Miami. She's in a whole relationship. She didn't want to go. So he created a fake flyer for a party to give her an excuse to go to Miami and get away from her boyfriend using the guise of a legitimate event that she had to attend. It's that Miss Ventura was stunned at how easily Mr. Combs was able to recruit others to lie for him. She said she went to the event because she was scared to go against his wishes and face repercussions to her career. It said during this trip to Miami, he provided her with copious amounts of drugs. She became more intoxicated than she ever had before. She wanted Mr. Combs to continue to support her career, so she felt she could not refuse Mr. Combs urging her to take more drugs. After providing her with drugs, Mr. Combs had sexual intercourse with Miss Ventura during this trip. If she's super high, or the lawsuit says more intoxicated than she had ever been before, that's rape, yes? She can't consent. It says within two years of meeting Mr. Combs, 
Miss Ventura found herself lured into the immediate circle of her boss, the owner of her record label, and one of the most powerful men in the entertainment industry. I think it's worth noting, I skipped this part early on, Cassie signed a 10-album deal to Bad Boy. I don't know why she would do that. Uh, but again, she's 19, and Bad Boy's already had like a 10-year run of massive success. I was like, a 10-album deal? I was like, that's not normal. She clearly wanted to be a musician. She was making music before she encountered Puff. That's how he found her. And if she wanted to pursue that, signed to a 10-album deal with Bad Boy, she has to appease him some way or another. Also, I think at one point it wasn't about the career. It was about she was in fear of her life because he does crazy shit. Well, on page 11, it says around 2008 or 2009, he started renting an apartment for Miss Ventura. And then he was also paying for a car. He bought her a Jaguar. It says, quote, all aspects of Miss Ventura's life were controlled by either Mr. Combs or his management company. They say Mr. Combs was deeply involved in Miss Ventura's personal life with his personal staff attending to Ms. Ventura's day-to-day -day travel and other needs, including medical care. On multiple occasions, Mr. Combs had Ms. Ventura's personal medical records sent directly to his email address. For instance, when Ms. Ventura began experiencing memory loss, potentially due to excessive drug use and or head injuries caused by Mr. Combs' beatings, her MRI results were provided directly to Mr. Combs. And not to say there's older women who wouldn't, but most women, I think probably over even 25, 27, wouldn't allow themselves to be in a situation where a guy has complete access to everything in their life and total control. They've just seen enough to know most men can't have that level of control, access, without being controlling. This is a lifestyle that sounds very sexy from the outside looking in. I don't know a single woman who has actually lived this kind of life where they haven't paid dire repercussions in private for it. I'm not saying necessarily Cassie level abuse where like the sex trafficking part, but it's usually some form of abuse going on. Men just cannot handle having that level of control and access and not taking advantage of it. They just can't. It sounds like a fairy tale life until you actually get into the nitty gritty of this and you like, oh, baby, none of it was worth it. Here's some other like weirdly creepy shit. We're on page 12 now. They said early in their relationship, Mr. Combs asked Miss Ventura what she called her grandfather. When Miss Ventura said she referred to him as Pop Pop, Mr. Combs perversely insisted that Miss Ventura refer to him with that nickname. This is page 13. And they start to get into the violence. For example, on one occasion, when Mr. Combs and Miss Ventura were using drugs together in his home, one of his security staff barged in and announced that Suge Knight, a longtime rival of Mr. Combs, was spotted at Mel's Drive-In Diner in Los Angeles. Remember when I told you I went out with Suge Knight that time? We went to Mel's. That's crazy. I had two praying grandmothers and a mama. Thank you, Jesus. Mr. Combs began to get dressed, retrieved multiple guns from a safe, and ran out of his home to where he believed Mr. Knight was dining. They said over the next decade, multiple times each year, Mr. Combs would violently beat Miss Ventura, leaving bruises on her body. After every instance in which he beat her, he used his money and power to orchestrate extensive efforts to hide the evidence of his abuse. 
including by hiding Miss Ventura in hotels for days at a time to let her bruises heal. In one such instance, after a party with Jay-Z, I know he's somewhere like how I get in it. They said after this party with Jay-Z, Mr. Combs beat Miss Ventura repeatedly in an escalade, including by kicking and hitting her. He Then he forced her out of the vehicle on Fifth Avenue in New York City. She was eventually able to hail a cab and get to her apartment in Manhattan. It's another incident, January 2009. Mr. Combs learned that Miss Ventura spoke to another music manager at a party in Los Angeles. He became enraged. In the car leaving the club, he beat her, pushing her into a corner of the vehicle and stomping on her face. Mr. Combs' security staff, Roger Bonds, tried to stop the beating but was unable to de-escalate the situation. When the car arrived at Mr. Combs' residence, Miss Ventura attempted to run away. But Mr. Combs followed her and proceeded again to kick her in the face. Miss Ventura was bleeding profusely and was ushered into Mr. Combs' home where she began to throw up from the violent assault. Recognizing the damage he had done and the physical evidence of his abuse, Mr. Combs panicked and forced his staff to bring Miss Ventura to a hotel suite at the London Hotel in Los Angeles where she was required to stay for a week. Miss Ventura, for people who ask, why did she not leave? Why did she stay so long? Here's one of the answers. Miss Ventura began to fully realize that Mr. Combs' tremendously loyal network not only knew about and witnessed his assault, but also that these witnesses were not willing to do anything meaningful to stop Mr. Combs' behavior. She recognized that she was powerless, and that reporting Mr. Combs to the authorities would not alter Mr. Combs' status or influence, but would merely give Mr. Combs another excuse to hurt her. We're on page 15. At this point, Puffy is 40. This is when he introduces the idea. You may have seen this online. It says Mr. Combs told Miss Ventura that he wanted to engage in a fantasy called voyeurism. He said it would turn him on if he saw Miss Ventura, quote, with another dick. The first time, Mr. Combs hired a man. Mr. Combs directed Miss Ventura to perform sexual acts with this man while Mr. Combs watched them. He masturbated while he directed Miss Ventura and the man to do specific sexual acts. This encounter lasted multiple days. What? Page 16, Mr. Combs begins to call the arrangement a freak-off or F.O. Miss Ventura was expected to facilitate the location and the hiring of male sex workers. He would insist on an F.O. weekly. The F.O.s would take place in hotel suites. Page 17, Miss Ventura was instructed to use websites and escort services to find male sex workers to participate in the F.O.s. Mr. Combs told Miss Ventura to search for, quote, large black penises. Mr. Combs always supplied Miss Ventura and the sex worker with copious amounts of drugs before and during the FOs. Miss Ventura was given ecstasy, cocaine, GHB, ketamine, marijuana, and alcohol in excessive amounts during the FOs. 
which allowed her to disassociate during these horrific encounters. It became commonplace to get IV fluids in the days after an FO to recover from the excessive substances pushed upon her. Miss Ventura was required to dress up in lingerie for an FO, and Mr. Combs insisted she wear white nail polish to contrast her nails with the skin of the black men he hired to have sex with her. Yeah, this shit is crazy. Mr. Combs would instruct Miss Ventura and the sex workers to speak to each other, and he would specifically tell Miss Ventura where to touch the sex workers. Mr. Combs would say things like, grab that big black dick. During the FOs, in addition to directing Miss Ventura and masturbating, Mr. Combs would use his phone, laptop, and tablet to film Miss Ventura having sex with the hired sex worker. He treated the forced encounter as a personal art project, adjusting the candles he used for lighting to frame the videos he took. While Miss Ventura quickly deleted any photographs or video of sex acts if they were taken on her phone, Mr. Combs repeatedly made clear that he retained many videos of Miss Ventura during FOs. Even when she deleted videos, Mr. Combs would tell Miss Ventura that he was able to recover them from her devices. On one occasion, he sat next to her on a flight and made her watch a video she thought she had deleted, reinforcing her inability to escape and the immense power he held over her. So apparently he's also paying her phone bill and he has some sort of access to her phone where he can get into her deleted files and recover them. Oh my God. Oh my God. And this is not the first time I've read this. It says, during some of the FOs, Mr. Combs would become extremely intoxicated and he would hit Miss Ventura in front of the male sex workers. Miss Ventura was repulsed by Mr. Combs' demands, but between the physical beating and recognizing his incredible power and incredible temper, she became petrified of her partner and boss and felt she could not say no. It said frequently her anxiety before an FO would become so great that she would become physically ill. It's on page 19, sometimes to the point of vomiting. While she was kneeling over the toilet, Mr. Combs would shame her into performing for him, eventually forcing her to get up and proceed with the encounter. She knew firsthand telling Mr. Combs she did not want to engage in FOs would be met with anger and violence. This Negro is crazy as fuck. She tells a specific story from 2015. She says in the middle of a surprise birthday party, her 29th birthday, he insisted that they leave the party and go to a hotel for an F.O. When she expressed that she did not want to go because, you know, middle of her birthday party, Mr. Combs had Ventura cornered by his security staff in order to force her to leave with him. They said after this F.O., Mr. Combs and Miss Ventura went back to the hotel room that Miss Ventura was staying in where some of Miss Ventura's friends were already hanging out. Mr. Combs was severely intoxicated and at one point during the night picked up one of Miss Ventura's friends like a child and dangled the friend over the balcony of the 17th floor hotel suite. Like the dude from Five Heartbeats? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
The holidays are probably my favorite time of year. I really get into the festive season, but everyone doesn't share that sentiment. Seasonal blues are a real thing. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. You know that I am a huge advocate of therapy. I think everyone should have some, and don't just wait until you've got the blues. If you're feeling not quite yourself at any time of year, but especially during the holidays, think about giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. I love how easy BetterHelp makes it to receive professional help. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Ratchet today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ratchet. I'm on page 20. This is another one for the people who ask, why didn't she try to leave? She did. It says anytime she tried to create distance between her and Mr. Combs, he used his networks to find her and convinced her to return to his abuse. It says in 2011, during a rough patch in Mr. Combs and Miss Ventura's relationship, she had a brief relationship with musician Kid Cudi. When Mr. Combs found out about it, he became enraged and proceeded to place a manual corkscrew between his fingers and lunged at Miss Ventura. She ran away and she stayed at Kid Cudi's home to escape Mr. Combs' wrath. Mr. Combs sent a staff member to her and said that she needed to just talk to Mr. Combs. She said she felt like she could not escape him and his network of enforcers. So she returned. He hit her several times and then kicked her in the back as she tried to run out the door. She went to her parents' home in Connecticut where her mother took pictures of the bruises Mr. Combs had left on her body. In February 2012, during Paris Fashion Week, Mr. Combs told Miss Ventura that he was going to blow up Kid Cudi's car and he wanted to ensure that Kid Cudi was home with his friends when it happened. Around that time, Kid Cudi's car exploded in his driveway. When this court document was filed, the New York Times was the one that broke the story. They reached out to Kid Cudi and was like, hey, did this shit happen? And he was like, yeah, it did. You blew up somebody's fucking car? I knew Puppy was crazy. Just, I think we as the public thought he had anger issues. You blowing up people's cars, my nigga? What kind of goon are you? Puff out here on some Godfather type shit. We thought he was like erratic, prone to outbursts. Liquor doesn't surprise anyone. I would imagine drugs don't either. Into some freaky shit, yeah. But consensual freaky shit. Not like sex trafficking. Definitely never thought he was blowing up cars, getting people beat up, fine. Puff grabbing his own guns to go run out to shoot Shug Knight? Sending people after Shug? Maybe. But Puff himself doing it? Really? Who is this nigga? On page 21, she describes an incident in 2015. 
She had a conversation with another music manager. This is a different story from the one we spoke at previously. She said she spoke to a popular music manager at an after party in a hotel suite in Las Vegas. She says Mr. Combs saw her speaking to this manager and sternly told her to step into the bedroom adjoining the suite. And say in the bedroom, Mr. Combs beat Miss Ventura severely. She ran from corner to corner of the room trying to avoid Mr. Combs beating and kicking. When she tried to lock herself in the bathroom, he pushed through and punched and kicked her while she was curled up under the toilet. Her screams were drowned out by the loud music playing in the outside area of the hotel suite. When Mr. Combs' head of security and assistant saw Miss Ventura after the assault, they began to cry. Who's the assistant at this time and who's the head of security? It said Miss Ventura had two black eyes, a burst and bruised lip, and a huge welt on her forehead. Upon seeing the results of his vicious attack, Mr. Combs forced Miss Ventura to stay at his home and home to stay at his home along with one of his sons. While there, Mr. Combs FaceTimed Miss Ventura and stated, You gotta go up and put more makeup on. My son can't see you like that. She said she did put makeup on per Mr. Combs' demands. She felt that she had no choice but to obey her abuser. Even though security guards, assistants, and friends saw the situation she was in, no one dared to help her or speak up on her behalf. She therefore had no choice but to remain subservient. It's another incident, March 2016. She says during an FO at the Intercontinental Hotel in Century City, Mr. Combs became extremely intoxicated and punched Miss Ventura in the face, giving her a black eye. After he fell asleep, she tried to leave the hotel room, but as she exited, Mr. Combs awoke and began screaming at her. He followed her into the hallway of the hotel while yelling at her. He grabbed at her and then took glass vases in the hallway and threw them at her, causing glass to crash around them as she ran to the elevator to escape. She took a cab to her apartment and then she realized running away would cause Mr. Combs to be even angrier with her and completely stuck in his vicious cycle of abuse, she returned to the hotel with the intention of apologizing for running away from her abuser. When she returned, hotel security staff urged her to get back into a cab and go to her apartment, suggesting that they had seen the security footage showing Mr. Combs beating Miss Ventura and throwing glass at her in the hotel hallway. Mr. Combs paid the Intercontinental Century City $50,000 for the hallway security footage from that evening. Somebody got to have a copy of that, no? After this, Ms. Ventura left her home and went to hide away at a friend's home in Florida. She says James Cruz, president of Bad Boy Management, tracked Ms. Ventura down and told her that her single would not be released if she did not answer Mr. Combs' phone calls. She also says a woman at Sony Music reached out to her with a similar ultimatum concerning her record. Also, one of his attorneys called her and said, quote, it is in your best interest to call Mr. Combs back. Each time Miss Ventura tried to run away, Mr. Combs and his powerful network would force her back to him. It said by 2017 and 18, Miss Ventura had become desperate to leave Mr. Combs and his abuse of her. 
She recognized that if she stayed with him, she would never be able to have a successful career or ever be physically and mentally safe. It says in September 2018, she joined Mr. Combs for a dinner at an Italian restaurant in Malibu for what she believed would be a discussion about concluding their relationship for good. After dinner, Mr. Combs and Miss Ventura returned to her home, which was paid for by Mr. Combs. He forced himself into her apartment and tried to kiss Miss Ventura. She told him to stop and attempted to push him away. He then forcibly pulled off Miss Ventura's clothing and unbuckled his belt. He proceeded to rape her while she repeatedly said no and tried to push him away. Soon thereafter, Miss Ventura took steps to completely separate herself from her longtime abuser, including by leaving the home that he paid for and returning the car he purchased for her. Despite moving away, her address was posted online in early 2019, leading to fears for her safety. Who posted her address? Did he do this? This is page 24. It says, as a result of the immense trauma Miss Ventura endured for over a decade with Mr. Combs, she has suffered and continues to suffer from immense emotional distress. Except for the months she was pregnant with her children, Miss Ventura struggled with her addictions to drugs and alcohol, addictions that were established and fueled by Mr. Combs. She turned to substances to drown out the memories of her abuse, Without being intoxicated, she suffered from horrific nightmares of forced sexual acts that Mr. Combs demanded she participate in during the regularly scheduled FOs and of the physical beatings that she endured throughout her relationship. She had difficulty eating and sleeping and her relationships with her family suffered. During this time, she frequently had thoughts of ending her life. She has required intensive therapy and other medical care to recover from Mr. Combs' abuse, and she will forever live with the physical and psychological repercussions of over a decade of violence, fear, and exploitation she endured. Page 35, it lays out exactly what she's asking for. It says money judgment for damages, including lost wages, earnings, and all other sums of money for money judgment for mental pain and anguish and severe emotional distress, punitive damages according to proof, attorney's fees and costs, for such other and further relief as the court may deem just and proper. So this lawsuit hits, New York Times calls Puff's lawyer, Diddy has, what's the, what's the phrase everybody likes to use, categorically denied any of this happened. His lawyer says that for the last six months that Cassie has been trying to shake Diddy down. She asked for $30 million not to write a tell-all book about her experience with Puff. Cassie's lawyer says that Puff offered her an eight-figure settlement in order not to file this lawsuit. She rejected it, and here we are. People, I'm waiting for other people to come forward. He meets Cassie when he's 37. If it happened, as she alleges, He's definitely done that with other people. Beating folks ass, he's definitely done that with other people. You don't just start beating on women at 37. Um, and you also just don't stop after Cassie leaves you. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Other people need to come forward. Either people who worked at Bad Boy, some of the folks who were named in this in this lawsuit, the heads of security or the assistant. I would love if my friend came forward and was like, yes, I was sitting in the boardroom when he did X, Y, Z. Any of the people at parties who heard her getting beat on or, or people who worked at hotels, who saw the black eyes, who saw the video footage. Even if it doesn't exist, there were people who saw it, like their testimony still counts if they can be found. I believe every word of this lawsuit, um, in order for anything to happen to Puff, a whole lot of other people will need to come forward and corroborate what she's saying. I don't know how much proof she has. I did catch the part where she was like, yeah, my mom has the pictures. There's got to be people out there that have some kind of evidence. Now, will they come forward? Because again, if you believe what's in this lawsuit... Or you believe any of the rumors we've heard over the years, Puff is crazy as fuck. Also, there's tons of NDAs. Um, Aubrey from, is that her name? The white girl, blonde hair from Danity Kane, one of the girl groups. She'd been on Puff's ass for years, but she most recently spoke out when news hit that Puff was giving the publishing to his bad boy artist. Cameron talked about how Mace finally got his publishing back. Aubrey started doing interviews. She was like, he's offering us our publishing all these years later when we can't make any money off of it. And what he's offering is in exchange for getting my publishing back, I have to sign a fresh NDA where I can't disparage him, bad boy, any of his business affiliations, his mother. She was like, I didn't sign it. And I told the other girls in the group, don't sign this shit. I thought it was very interesting that he specifically mentioned his mother is somebody who couldn't be disparaged. Is this like classic, like boys are obsessed with their mothers type-ish? Or is this like, your mama knows a whole bunch of shit, has seen a whole bunch of shit, was present for a whole bunch of shit, maybe did a bunch of shit, and now you specifically don't want anybody to tell what your mama did? I mean, Mama Combs is a woman of a certain age at this point, but she also, you know, was married to Puff's dad, who was a whole drug dealer. I don't know how big of a gangster he was, but at some point she was about that life. Is she still? I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me, not given how her son acts. Speaking of which, we don't have time to dive into it today. We're already going super long. 
I don't think we're going to get to Sheila Johnson, y'all. I'm super sorry. I really, really wanted to. But Puff and Cassie have taken over the entire episode. I just want to mention this. We're talking about apples not falling far from trees. On Tuesday's episode, I was talking about Kiki's baby daddy and his older brother. I can't pronounce that boy's first name for anything in the world. Drove from Insecure, big brother, big brother Jackson. And I was like, like, how do you get two brothers one who's one who's seen in video stills laying hands on a woman. So it's not even a question of like, did you or didn't you? We see you doing it. Then he's also accused by Kiki's mother of choking out his own sister. And then Big Brother, according also to Kiki's mother, he told her that he used to beat women, but he like grew out of it or something like that. I was like, what kind of household were y'all raised in? I was like, did your father beat your mother? I don't know what site went and found the documents, but the mother is divorced from the father. And she has a permanent restraining order on him for domestic violence. So they grew up in the house seeing their daddy beat on their mama. And I was like, oh, that's how we got here. Also, I think it's worth mentioning. This story was everywhere, so I don't feel like I need to recap it hard body. On Tuesday's episode, by the time I finished editing and put it up, the full audio of Kiki's mother cursing out Kiki's baby daddy hadn't come out yet. And in that audio, it's about two and a half minutes. I mean, she cursed him clean the fuck out. But in that audio, she says at some point, Usher's gay, which I was like, woo, that's quite a stray, ma'am. In fairness to her, she didn't know she was being recorded. And this is not like she was making public statements. Clearly the incident, this is after clearly when Kiki had gone to the Usher concert and then Darius had publicly shamed her and it turns into this big international news story. Kiki's mom, Mama Palmer, Miss Sharon. Look, Darius and his brother stay calling Mama Palmer Miss Sharon. They just be calling her Sharon like she's one of their little friends. But I was like, I just can't fix my face to call a black woman, somebody's mother especially, of a certain age. I just can't fix my mouth around calling a grown black lady, just calling her Sharon like we friends. I was like, that's your girlfriend's mother. You don't put no properness in front of her name. It's just... Further evidence, they ain't got no act right in that family. But Miss Sharon did come back and she said, look, the boy is antagonizing my daughter. He's harassing my daughter. He's abusing my daughter. I would have said anything in that moment to get him to leave my daughter alone. So I said Usher was gay. So she was like, I don't know anything about Usher being gay. It's just something I said to get him to like stop with his shit. I was also in a discussion with some of my good gay male friends and they were like, I totally understand you're defending your daughter. Ma'am had a whole lot of homophobia and some xenophobia too. Cause she talked about Darius's mother. She said something about her being an immigrant. And they were like, even though she's mad, even though she's heated, even though she's scared, even though she was trying to protect her daughter, there's no place for homophobia and xenophobia, which I agree. I just want to state that emphatically. Also, in addition to, and I want to point out, keep your eye on the prize. One of the reasons that Darius and his family are releasing this audio, releasing text messages between his mom and Kiki's mom is to shame and embarrass them, to change the narrative to, well, look how belligerent they are and look how they act and look what they do and look what they said. It's weird. He denies abusing Kiki, but then he's also for the last week been providing motive. Like she said these things, she did these things and that's what got me riled up in order to do these things. So it's like he's been giving motive for something that he says he didn't do. 
Um, but also he's trying to like change the narrative. So people are talking more about what Kiki's mom said or how Kiki's mom spoke or so people will be more focused on them than him. And then also if it ever comes out that like, yeah, okay, like I did in fact beat her as seen in video stills at this point, people were like, oh, well, that's why it happened because they were talking to him crazy. They were doing this crazy. I'll also say this. I had a friend, 2017, 18, and it worked, unfortunately. We're not as close as we used to be. But she divorced her husband. She was a pretty well-known woman. He was a pretty well-known guy. Her husband went on a terror spree, publicly attacking his estranged wife's friends. I'd known her for a really long time. Um, I was going through a divorce at the time. Right before she left her husband, something had happened between them. Details aren't necessary. I noticed something was off and I reached out to her to ask if she was okay. When I spoke to her, she didn't give me any hardcore details about what was going on, but she let me know that she was physically okay. She was like, he's just, you know, on one. I'm trying to figure out whatever. And I was like, well, girl, if you need me, you know, let me know. She left him shortly thereafter that. Her husband found out that that we'd spoken and he blamed me. He called me and he blamed me for his wife leaving him. He also called me. They were separated and she wasn't returning his calls. And he called me. I don't know where he got my number from. Um, I guess from her at one point. But he called me to say I had 24 hours to get in contact with his wife and make her call me. Otherwise, he was going to blast me online. And I was like, I'm not involved in your marital shit. And he was like, you are because you're the reason she left me. Like, you fucked it up. So, like, now you need to fix it. And I was like, I did no such thing. And I'm not getting involved in your shit. I didn't even call her. He'd been terrorizing her. And there was a reason that she wasn't answering his calls. But So he made good on his threat to me. His wife didn't call him in 24 hours. And so he went online and posted pictures of me. He has a large following too, like completely dragging me, everything about my appearance, my weight. That's why your husband hates you. That's why your husband left you, which is not true, but okay. Um, But all sorts of shit, anything to get under my skin. And he did it to me and he did it to two other of her friends as well. And the whole point was to isolate her from us because in order to continue to deal with her, to support her, we had to endure his crazy. And to be quite transparent, going through a divorce at the time, I couldn't fight a battle on two fronts. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I got to deal with this shit. Like, I can't, I can't take on your shit and deal with my shit at the same time. I had to distance myself from her. Her husband's a terrorist. Um, I kind of feel that that's part of what Darius is doing right now with Kiki is he's trying to tarnish Kiki's name. He's trying to embarrass her mother. He's trying to paint Kiki's family as dysfunctional or ghetto or whatever. I think especially with what she said about Usher, he's trying to get people to turn on them in Hollywood. Um, So it's like he's a sinking ship and he wants to take Kiki and her family down with him. I see through it. I hope other people do too. I said before about Miss Sharon cursing out Darius and I was like, she sounds like an exasperated mother who's outraged that this nigga got the the nerve to put his hands on her daughter. I think her anger, her rage is what most mothers especially would have 
if someone comes for their daughter. I think if you got a mama who's not outraged and who's not trying to curse somebody out and is not trying to kill somebody over you, I question your mama. Like the idea that like, oh, her mother should keep it cute. Not when somebody beating on her child. You sound nuts. There's a time to act like you got some sense and there's a time to lose it on a nigga. Darius deserved that shit. All right, that's the episode. I'm going to edit. Sorry for the lateness. I, I left out the whole part about how I got locked out my house earlier. So yeah, sorry about the lateness. I should be settled by next week. And then we'll be back to our regular schedule. We'll pick up Sheila Johnson's book again, unless there's another major bombshell like this Diddy shit that came out of left field and had to be addressed. So yeah, talk soon. Bye. Wait, not bye. I'm sorry. I just got a text message. This is from CNBC and this is the headline. Sean Combs, Cassie, settle her bombshell rape sex trafficking lawsuit day after filing. The R&B singer Cassie and hip-hop mogul Sean Combs on Friday agreed to resolve claims in a bombshell lawsuit she filed just a day earlier, accusing him of raping and sex trafficking her and of brutally beating her during their personal relationship. Terms of the settlement between Combs and his former romantic partner Cassie were not disclosed. This is an email from Cassie's legal team. It says this evening, Miss Ventura and Mr. Combs resolved the claims that she filed against him yesterday in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York to their mutual satisfaction. The parties will have no further statements beyond what is provided in this email. Cassie, in a prepared statement included in the email, I have decided to resolve this matter amicably on terms that I have some level of control. I want to thank my family, fans, and lawyers for their unwavering support. In his own statement that was also contained in the email, Combs said, we have decided to resolve this matter amicably. I wish Cassie and her family all the best. Love. What? My nigga, what, what is going on? I mean, I understand why he did it. I don't understand why he didn't do it on Wednesday to keep the information from coming out because now it's out there. You can't put it back in the bag. We've all seen it now. What? She must have crazy amounts of proof. I guess that's the end of that saga. Grand opening, grand closing. Damn. Money talks or keeps folks from talking. Damn. All right, that's the episode. Bye. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs>